right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. Before we get started today, I want to say a few words about Kelly Rossman McKinney, a friend of mine and a principal founder of the Truscott Rossman strategic communications firm in Lansing, who passed yesterday after a long fight with uh, cancer. If you know anything about politics and lobbying in our state, especially in Lansing, then you absolutely know Kelly Rossman McKinney's name. Uh, She was a consummate member of the uh, Lansing community and, of course, uh, of the political infrastructure uh, in our nation's, our state capital. Um, But uh, beyond that, Kelly was just one of the most decent, professional, hardworking, and strategic-minded people uh, that I knew when she founded that firm with John Truscott, who was a Republican. Kelly was a Democrat. It really demonstrated the idea that there are common goals that we all should have in mind and should all be working for, and that there's a time for partisanship, yes, but there's also a time to try to work together to get things done. And at that firm, I think they prove that every day. It's very sad that uh, Kelly has died. I want to extend condolences not only to the folks at Truscott Rossman, but of course to her family. Uh, but this is a loss for the entire political infrastructure here in uh, in our state. So uh, again, condolences to her family and to her colleagues. Okay, we're going to get started today talking about the lingering threat of COVID-19 and the frustration caused by Americans who refuse to get their shots. Now, vaccines have provided us just a bit of comfort and protection for those of us who have decided to get our jabs. But up until now, millions of Americans have been left out of that opportunity to get vaccinated. And those are young children. Now, kids aged 5 to 11 are eligible to receive the Pfizer vaccine, and more vaccines are likely to get approval soon. We're going to talk all hour today about what this means for the pandemic and what parents and kids need to know. And we'd like to start with a close-up look at one kid's journey to get his first dose. Detroit Today senior producer Jake Neer documented his six-year-old son Joshua's experience before and after his shot. Now, Joshua's a little bit scared of needles, but he decided to tough it out to get protected with a little bribe thrown in for good measure. Here's his experience. We're recording now. Say hi, my name's Joshua. Hi, my name's Joshua. Okay, Joshua, so tomorrow you're getting your coronavirus vaccine. How are you feeling about that? Uh, oh. <laughs> Okay, but if it hurts, uh, I will be okay, which is good. Are you a little nervous? Yes. What are you nervous about? If it will hurt or not. Mm. You don't really like shots very much, do you? Yeah, especially not the flu shot. So what are some of the things you're excited about, though, about getting the coronavirus vaccine? Well, after I get both of them, I'll go to the Renston 
and go to Jungle Java. Jungle Java. Go to the Outdoor Adventure Center in Detroit. You're a big fan of the Outdoor Adventure Center in Detroit, aren't you? How long has it been since we've been there? Two years. That's right. So, Joshua, we we just got here. How are you feeling? Uh, a bit nervous. Yeah? Why do you feel nervous? If it hurts or not, but if it hurts or not, I'll still be okay. That's right. And what are we going to do right after this? Get a new toy, and and if it hurts or not, uh, I will be okay. That's right. All right, let's go. So after the shot now, we're in the observation area. Um, Joshua, you were very brave. Um, <laughs> I think you were. But uh, how are you feeling now? Uh, uh, it kind of hurts with the Band-Aid on. You don't like Band-Aids, do you? Mm-hmm. But, you know, now you've got the shot. So how do you feel? I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah, it was a little rough. There was a, you were a little scared there in the in the room, but you're a lot better now, right? Mhm. What's what are you excited about now? Now that you got the shot. Uh, not really much because I'm gonna have a second shot. <laughs> That's true, but you know I'm really really proud of you for getting the shot. Thank you for being a trooper. Okay. Me too. Let's go. That was our special report from Joshua, who is a six-year-old son of Detroit Today senior producer Jake Neer. Joshua reports that he hasn't had any significant side effects and has this piece of advice for other kids who are afraid of needles. He says, be brave. You'll be okay. Now we want to turn to another expert in this area. Dr. Paul Kilgore is Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. He joins me now to talk about what parents and kids need to know about getting their vaccine and more about the state of the COVID pandemic here in Michigan. Dr. Kilgore, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's great to be here with you. So let's talk about how significant it is that these vaccines are now available to school-age children under 12 years old. We've waited a long time during the pandemic for this to be the case. Now that we're here, how should we be thinking about it? That's right, Stephen. This is really, really good news. It's definitely a game changer. There's no doubt about it. Parents have been patient, and now is the time they can actually go in to get their kids vaccinated. In Detroit, before I forget, I just wanted to mention that parents can call 313-230-0505 to the Detroit Health Department and schedule an appointment. And they're giving vaccines for children at the immunization clinic right across the street from me um, here at 100 Mac Avenue. And then also at the Northwest Activity Center in Detroit on Myers Road. And what advice do you have for kids who are like Joshua, who we heard from in the opening for this segment, kids who are especially afraid of needles? And what advice do you have for their parents and their caregivers? 
So a couple things. One is, you know, for kids, certainly one of the things that we've been able to see from the vaccine trials, but also from the real world experience so far in vaccinating now thousands of children, is that we're seeing really local signs and symptoms that we expect with other vaccines. So the reactions that we see include things like soreness after the injection. We also see systemic signs like headache, malaise, and joint aches, muscle aches, things like that. They resolve relatively quickly within one to two days, and kids are very resilient. In fact, um, we see um, very, very few kids needing to follow up at a pediatrician as a result of any adverse events so far. Hmm. Uh, what should people be worried about? Or is there anything they should be worried about with regard to these vaccines? I, I continue to see discussion about safety. People have concerns about the the, the, the fast pace that all of this is happening at and and they worry that we don't know enough about the long-term effects of, of, of these vaccines to be able to say, hey, everybody ought to, ought to be taking it. Um, is, is there a separate set of concerns or the, 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 do concerns fall into a different context when we're talking about our children? I know, of course, as a parent, uh, you're always thinking very differently about uh, the way that, that you, you, you care for your children than you do for yourself. I mean, they, they aren't just little humans. They are physiologically quite different. Um, uh, is, there, is there something that we ought to be thinking about? Are there things that we ought to be pausing to consider uh, before we rush to say, hey, we, we need to get this for all kids age 5 to 11. Absolutely, yeah. So I always weigh the risks and benefits of anything, and that includes vaccinations. One of the things that we can tell parents is that overall, over the past several months, we've had a relatively conservative introduction of vaccines. And what I mean by that is that we've started with the oldest adults, working our way down to teenagers and now younger children, and through that experience, Stephen, we've been able to learn that the mRNA vaccines and the J&J vaccines have been safe for adults. And now we have really a lot of real world experience with hundreds of thousands of older children who have been vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine. And what this is telling us is that we are not seeing any unusual signals that would make us worried when we start to vaccinate children aged five to 11 years. The other side of the coin, the risks of not getting vaccinated are substantial. We have over 100 outbreaks in Michigan, several hundred um, that have occurred over the past several months since schools have opened. Parents know about these outbreaks. We are seeing transmission within schools of COVID-19. And even though kids are wearing masks and schools have policies for testing, it means that we really have to be vigilant for our children when they start to manifest symptoms. And, and one thing for parents to know is that the symptoms of COVID-19 in children may not look like we see in adults. In other words, we can see things like diarrhea and unusual things like rash that we don't necessarily see very commonly in adults. So parents have to be vigilant. If their children do manifest symptoms, it's important to go get tested right away and also stay in tune with the school leadership 
with teachers, the principals, and also listen carefully to hear what's going on at the school in terms of outbreaks. I'm talking with Dr. Paul Kilgore. He's Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. We're talking about COVID vaccines for kids and other updates on the pandemic. Uh, We want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Call and tell us what questions you have about the status of the pandemic here in Michigan and all around the country. Also, do you have questions about kids age 5 to 11 getting vaccinated? Do you have a child in this age group? Call and tell us what you're thinking about. Are you among the first people to rush out to make sure that uh, your son or daughter gets uh, the COVID vaccine? Or are you somebody who's hanging back just a little and want to know more about this vaccine, perhaps about its side effects, uh, maybe see what, what happens in the early distribution of the vaccine before you decide for yourself. I know that in my social circle, I am seeing every day pictures on social media of my friends, people that I know, taking their children to get vaccinated. This is big news for most people that I know, and it's welcome news for them. I think for people who have small children, the pandemic has uh, has had a really different set of dimensions than it has for those of us who don't. And there has been a longer, much longer journey to the idea of getting back to some normalcy uh, after the pandemic because they have young children. Uh, Give us a call. Let us know if you fall into that category. Is this a glorious development in your world, the idea that your child can be vaccinated and you can return to doing many of the things that we were doing before all of this happened. <clears throat> Again, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, I, I want to talk a little more about the pandemic overall and the impact that this will have on the things that that we're doing. I I feel like we're still in a stage where we're having arguments about adults and vaccines and getting to the numbers that we all want to get to uh, in in that regard. Um, What does the development of the child vaccine uh, do to that conversation? Does it does it make it easier? Does it make it harder uh, where are we with that? Great question, Stephen. So I think a couple things for this impact. One is that by vaccinating children, we can actually reduce transmission to adults. So that's very, very good news. But I think adults need to also recognize one thing. Many people out there that I've met day in and day out have underlying medical conditions that put them at high risk for serious disease. COVID-19 is still with us. In fact, the trends that we're seeing epidemically in Michigan and across Detroit suggest that there's continuing transmission. In fact, Michigan is considered to be a high transmission area right now. Hmm. The good news is we actually have over 68% of adults and, and folks in Michigan have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine. So 
we are going in the right direction. It's a slower than I would like to see for sure, but we are getting more people vaccinated. There are still large areas though, like in Detroit and other uh, central uh, counties in Michigan, where we're seeing lower rates of vaccination. And if I were in front of folks there today, I would be telling them, please definitely go get vaccinated. It will be helpful for you, for your family, especially as we come up upon the Thanksgiving and other holidays in December. So yesterday, the New York Times released an analysis that showed Michigan doing particularly poorly in a national context. It said that we recorded the second highest number of new daily COVID cases in the U.S. in the most recent seven-day average. Can you talk just a little about what is separating us from the rest of the nation? Things have seemed worse here for a longer period of time than, than makes much sense to me, I, I don't know what we're what we're doing wrong or what we're not doing, but give me a sense of why Michigan is still a standout. So I think, Stephen, there's a couple of things going on. One is that I do see a lot of complacency um, across the population when I go out to uh, different locations across uh, Detroit and throughout the state. I think there's still a, a belief that somehow we are through COVID or it's, it's gone by the wayside. In fact, transmission is quite high in Michigan. For that reason, and, and this is aligned with the CDC recommendation, if you are indoors or out and about and you're going into a store or other location, please wear a mask. The mask will definitely help reduce transmission. And that's true even if you are vaccinated for right now. And the reason we talk about masking again is that even though we see people vaccinated, our vaccination rates are not high enough to actually suppress active transmission of the virus. So that's going to be true until we get a higher proportion of adults and children vaccinated. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue to talk about COVID and kids and COVID and vaccines. And we want to get going on the phones as well. Give us a call. Tell us what you're thinking about the availability now of vaccines for kids age 5 to 11. Are you taking your kids to get vaccines or are you holding back and wondering whether that's the right thing to do. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Okay, we'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to... Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, uh, we are 
really glad that you have joined us. I'm talking right now with Dr. Paul Kilgore. He's an associate professor and director of research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. <clears throat> We're talking this hour about COVID, COVID-19, COVID-19 and kids, COVID-19 and vaccines. Uh, we finally do have Vaccines approved, at least one of the vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine, approved for kids aged 5 to 11. I am seeing people all over the place, uh, in my social circle at least, jump at the opportunity to get their kids to be among the vaccinated uh, during this pandemic. Uh, But I know there are lots of people who have different ideas about what they should be doing with their children and have different ideas specifically because we're talking about children. Uh, We want to hear from you about how you're thinking this through. Are you rushing right now to try to get an appointment to get your child vaccinated because you see that as the way forward and the way back to life uh, that looks a little more normal, uh, a little more like what we were living before the pandemic, <clears throat> or are you somebody who is sitting back and just taking all this in and, and thinking maybe really hard about the choices uh, that, that sit in front of you? Are you somebody who's worried about uh, the difference between vaccinating a child and vaccinating an adult? Uh, we continue to have arguments and discussions about vaccinations for everybody in this country as we continue to try to get to that number where we can say we've got some type of herd immunity uh, to this deadly disease. Uh, The entrance of child vaccines into the discussion really does change the tenor and dimension of it, I think. Uh, Call and tell us how you're thinking about that. Again, uh, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter, put comments there. And uh, we'll work into the conversation. Also, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, we always want to welcome all kinds of different points of view here on, on Detroit Today. And if you're somebody who just doesn't want to bother with the vaccine, don't think that uh, you should get it, uh, have real concerns about it. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear why. Also, always want to hear what would convince you to take the vaccine. I was really interested uh, over the weekend uh, uh, by the controversy stirred up by Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, his absolute uh, dissembling about the vaccine and whether he had taken it or not. Uh, but the fact that uh, he did get COVID-19 and is now in some trouble with the league, that start, started a whole series of arguments back up about who should be getting the vaccine, who shouldn't, and how we look to people who are in somewhat of a leadership position, uh, how they should be behaving right now, what they should be doing to try to move us past all of this. Again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Rochelle in Detroit. Rochelle, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Um, As I shared with, um, with your teammate, I went to, my 11-year-old wanted to be vaccinated. And um, so we scheduled an appointment for our local 
pharmacy, um, you know, a Tuesday night last night and went, uh, went into the store, masked and everything. And we could see where those who were there for vaccinations were supposed to sit and, you know, how everything was supposed to flow. Of course, I received text messages and emails kind of giving us information ahead of time as to what to expect. Um, as I talked with the pharmacist team, uh, it was our time, you know, to step to the window. She was like, uh, well, you actually need to get in your car and go through the drive-through. And I said, well, are you going to administer the vaccine through my car window? And she said, no, actually, you're going to administer it. And uh -oh. so it kind of took me aback and I went, you know, we, we hurried out the store and I was going to go through the drive-through and I'm like, no, you know, Jamari, do you want me to... Like, I don't want to do that. Like, I didn't sign up for that. Like, it felt like they were passing the buck as far as the responsibility of actually administering the vaccine. Mm. And at a time where people have their hesitancies and their concerns, to me, this was super unprofessional and, um, and not bad. a good look for this particular big, large chain um, pharmacy, right? So, so I, I just want to make sure I'm understanding correctly what you're saying happened they were yeah. saying that you needed to administer the vaccine to your child absolutely that's what they said huh. okay uh, Rochelle I really appreciate the call and the information Dr. Kilgore that sounds unusual to me that's not the way that they are distributing the vaccine more generally is it no no it's not Stephen in fact um, for parents listening and for anyone that may have a friend who is a parent of a child age five to 11, the one thing that I would recommend they do is number one, when they call the pharmacy or the clinic to schedule the appointment for the vaccination, just double check and ask about logistics. So a couple of things to recognize. One is that they should know what time they're gonna need to be there. Second, they should ask who will be administering the vaccine. And third, um, you can, they can ask about waiting area because there should be an observation period after the child gets the vaccine so that they can be watched for any reactions. We certainly don't want any child who is vaccinated to have a reaction that occurred immediately after vaccination that can be treated. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing I would mention, Stephen, is that um, when parents call to make an appointment, I mentioned that Detroit Health Department number 313-230-0505 those clinics are gonna be staffed by nurses and also physicians will be around. Those clinics are important um, as well to serve Detroiters, but if you're living in Oakland County, Macomb, Wayne County, you can call the local health department in your county to find out where they're offering vaccines. Now I can also tell you because I work in a college of pharmacy, it is very unusual to have a pharmacist not vaccinate in a pharmacy. Mm -hmm. We really know that pharmacists are highly experienced in giving vaccines. They're expert in giving vaccines. They know exactly where to administer them. They understand the vaccine very well and can explain how they work. So if you're going to a pharmacy, just double check to make sure that you can go in and physically be there with your child when they get the vaccine. And that's really important, um, certainly as reassurance to the child and and also to make sure that you can see it being given. Yeah. So we had a caller who could not stay on the line, but had a really interesting question. 
she wondered when kids between four months and four years will be able to get the vaccine. There is still a population uh, of young children who are not eligible to get uh, vaccinated. That doesn't mean they can't get COVID. It doesn't mean that they can't spread the disease. So is that the next iteration of what we're seeing? And I guess what would the timetable look like for something like that to be developed? It is, and absolutely, these trials are being done right now, Stephen. This is an important age group because younger children, infants, do get COVID-19. There's no question about it. We anticipate results will be presented to the FDA um, starting in December and then into January. I'm anticipating that we're going to start to see a discussion with the Vaccine Advisory Committee um, December into January. I hope it's going to be in December but I'm looking more toward January. Um, the other vaccines like Moderna and Johnson & Johnson are looking to this age group as well. So I would expect to see results from Moderna trials as well coming out in the early part of 2022. Mm. Can't be soon enough for sure. In the meantime, we know that younger children uh, can be protected by vaccinating older children, number one, who are going to school and certainly adults in the household. Again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to John on the east side. John, what's on your mind? So I've been listening to nonstop vaccine, um, COVID stuff since the beginning. And the one thing I've been hearing over and over and over is we got to get the children back in school. So the one thing I haven't heard is just having mass vaccinations at the schools. Now, your guest said something about the parents being there with them to comfort them, and so that would be one shortcoming. But why not just take the opportunity while they're at school to bring a nurse in there and just get this done so we can get back to life? Yeah, uh, great, great question and comment there, John. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Kilgore, I'll give you a chance to respond before we break again. Yeah, John brings up a great point. Um, you know, several years ago when I was working at CDC, I was working with the D.C. Health Department. And in Washington, D.C., there were chickenpox outbreaks. We actually did do mass campaigns in schools. Mass campaigns in schools are completely feasible. The one thing that is very important is that the leadership of the school, including the PTA, and I did this with the PTA in D.C., talk with the parents and walk them through exactly what's going to happen for the mass immunization campaign in the school. If that is an option in the school district where your children are, I would take advantage of it. We're not seeing these quite yet um, because we're still in the early stages of the rollout of the vaccine. But I think in the future, this is something that health departments may consider. One of the other limitations, of course, is staffing up these clinics, these mass campaigns in schools. But it is feasible. I've done it before. It can work. Okay. Dr. Paul Kilgore, it is always really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Stephen. Okay. We are going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about whether schools should be mandating the COVID vaccine for students. I'm going to talk with an editor with The Atlantic about her recent look at that question and why this would be any different, for instance, from other vaccines that schools already require students to get 
in order to attend. We also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. Dan in Detroit, Mark and Frazier will get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we can include you in the show that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for joining us. We've been talking about the rollout of vaccines for kids age 5 to 11. That's really good news for families who have been waiting for months for kids to be able to get vaccinated. And this is especially important for kids who are attending school with hundreds of other kids who aren't yet vaccinated. But this development also brings up another question that is likely to become yet another political third rail in the age of COVID. Should schools mandate COVID-19 vaccines? Already, students are required to get vaccinated against all kinds of other diseases, and you cannot attend school unless you get those vaccinations. So why wouldn't they do the same to protect against the deadliest viral outbreak we've seen in our lifetimes. Here to talk about it is someone who has been writing a lot about this question. Rachel Gutman is a senior associate editor at The Atlantic. Her most recent piece is titled, COVID vaccine mandates for kids are coming, but are they a good idea? Rachel Gutman, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. So as I mentioned, Schools already require kids to get vaccinated against all kinds of other illnesses, and that's how we keep those illnesses from spreading in schools. Talk to me about why COVID-19 should or should not be different. Sure. So the vaccines that are mandated in all 50 states right now are polio, measles, chickenpox, and pertussis for school entry. And The effectiveness of those vaccines versus the COVID vaccines in kids is maybe the first thing we want to talk about when Mm -hmm. we're considering whether we should also mandate COVID vaccines. So the effectiveness that Pfizer showed in the data that they gave to the CDC after their um, clinical trials in kids showed that it was just shy of 91% effective at preventing illness. And kind of in line with what we're seeing with the other vaccines that are mandated. So polio is 99% effective, but pertussis is about 84% effective. So that 91 is right in the middle. Hmm. Uh, So some students have been eligible for vaccines for a while now, kids age 12 and older. How have middle schools and high schools responded to these questions? And how might the debate around younger children be different or, or, or similar to that? I think maybe the most important way that it might be different is that I think this is kind of true for all vaccines that you want to be especially careful with younger kids. Young kids are a really vulnerable population. You want to make extra sure to protect them just as you would all kids. As far as what people have been doing so far, the there are no vaccines yet that are 
fully approved for any kids under 16. And so when we're talking about mandates, one of the biggest things that's standing in the way right now, not necessarily legally, but just logistically, a lot of districts and states have said, we're not going to mandate until we get full FDA approval. And neither middle school nor high school aged kids are all yet in an age range where you have full FDA approval for any vaccines because only the Pfizer vaccine is fully approved and it's only for older teens. Mm-hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Give us a call. Let us know how you're thinking through this idea of vaccinating children aged 5 to 11. Are you doing it? Are you hesitant about it? Are you worried that maybe you're going to vaccinate your child, but they will be in school with lots of other kids who are not? You can also go to Facebook and Twitter Put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Stephanie in Roseville. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So I'm a parent of a kindergartner, and he attends Macomb County, a school in Macomb County, and um, we're lucky enough to have him attend a school district that is currently mandating, um, not vaccines, I'm sorry, mask wearing. So... He does wear a mask every day. He has no issues, no qualms with wearing masks. The kids are all, you know. All set. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Sorry about that. And um, my husband and I were both fully vaccinated. We were vaccinated as soon as we were able, um, just as was suggested. If you're healthy and able to do so, we did. And so with my son, um, I have no hesitancy in getting him vaccinated as long as, you know, it's something that is, approved and encouraged by his doctor. Um, I think all parents should consider what their pediatrician um, would recommend for their particular case because kids, all kids have different situations. So if it's safe and if it is encouraged by a pediatrician to do so, I don't see any issue with absolutely getting my my son and other children vaccinated. Uh, Stephanie, I really appreciate the call and you sharing uh, your your experience. Um, uh, Rachel Gutman, I, I, I want to talk about we, we've been talking about the p- potential benefits of of mandating these shots, these vaccinations, but y- you say there are also risks associated with mandating the vaccine. I wonder if you can talk about what those are. Absolutely. So. There's a study that was done a few years back that looked at the sort of time gap between when new vaccines tend to be um, CDC recommended for kids and when mandates actually get put into place. And that gap is usually about four to six years. So when schools and states are talking about mandating COVID vaccines now or as soon as the FDA approves the vaccines for kids, that's much sooner than that four to six year timeline. Mm -hmm. And we're in a totally different situation than In these other cases, we have a pandemic. It's really been damaging to both adults and children. So an an accelerated timeline makes a lot of sense. But the advantage of waiting a little bit on a mandate is that you get more information about how the vaccines are tolerated in kids, whether there are any side effects of concern, whether those side effects end up being important down the line. And also a little bit, you learn a little bit more about what this disease is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So things like measles, polio, chicken pox, pertussis, these are all childhood diseases. And the reason that they're childhood diseases is that pretty much everybody in the past got exposed to them 
in the first few years of life. And so by the time you're an adult, you have acquired immunity. And so the only vulnerable population is little kids. We don't know yet if a similar dynamic is going to play out with COVID. There could be a world in which COVID becomes more something like the flu, where even if you've had the flu one year, it's not necessarily going to prevent you from getting it another year. And in that case, a mandate would be pretty hard to accomplish for kids in schools. Very, very few schools mandate the flu vaccine, partly because it's a logistical nightmare. Um, you would have to, instead of doing vaccine checks at the point where a child enters a school, you'd have to do those checks every single year, and it would be a lot of paperwork. Hmm. So on the other hand, if COVID does end up being more like a childhood disease because our immunity lasts a really long time and eventually the only people who are naive to the disease are children, that's a much stronger case for mandating a vaccine in childhood. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Dan in Detroit. Dan, what's on your mind? Hey, Stephen. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Good, good. You know, I, I'm curious how come no one's really talking a lot about natural antibodies. Um, I contracted COVID in, in early April. I was just tested a couple weeks ago, and I still had antibodies. According to my medical doctor, he stated that, that the latest studies that, that they're getting, like the one out of Israel, is, is showing that people who have had COVID, who have recovered, have natural antibodies that are, that are more effective against fighting off the COVID-19 virus than people who have been vaccinated and i'm just wondering how come no one's really talking a lot about what what our bodies do naturally and that contract a virus fight it off have natural antibodies and yet the the only thing we're really hearing about is you've got to get the vaccine you've got to get the vaccine you've got to get the vaccine Hmm. I, i was just curious what 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 your thoughts on that work? So, I mean, look, Dan, we have this conversation a lot here on the show. I really appreciate you calling and, and giving your perspective. And I'm glad that you have not gotten COVID again. And that, uh, like you say, that your doctor says that you've still got got antibodies. But the, the thing that I that I come back to over and over again is that I think what we want to be doing is taking the advice of the scientists, not just the physicians who treat us, but the scientists who are uh, leading the research on this, reviewing the research on this, and making decisions about what the best alternatives for public health are. And what those scientists have been saying consistently is not that uh, it doesn't matter that you have uh, COVID antibodies from having gotten COVID, but that that's not the same level of protection that they are seeing people get from the vaccines. There may be individual doctors who are saying something different, um, no question. But the scientists who are doing this at the CDC, which I think we've got to kind of have a, a common frame of reference for this conversation. I mean, I don't know why we would be substituting the judgment of older people in front of those scientists. And so for me, and not just for me in terms of what I'm doing in my personal life, but but what I'm encouraging people to do in this public space on the show here that we that we share every day is to follow the advice of those scientists. They are they are the ones who actually, I think, understand all of this from a much broader perspective than the rest of us and in much more technical 
detail. So that's that's my answer, Dan, to your question. Uh, Rachel Gutman, I know this is not exactly what you've been writing about lately, but I wonder if you have thoughts uh, on this question of uh, antibodies, people who had COVID and uh, have some immunity from having had it and whether that is sufficient uh, to, to prevent the spread of the disease the way that we're trying to do. Sure. And like you said, Stephen, this isn't exactly where my reporting has been. So I'm speaking mostly from context of reports that I've read from other journalists mm-hmm. and studies that I've just seen in the course of my reporting. My understanding is that, as you said, the protection that's provided by a vaccine has been shown to be a lot better than the protection that's provided from having already had a COVID infection. And that's, I think, both in terms of durability and just in terms of the different areas of the immune system that are sort of activated by the vaccine. It's just a better all-around response. And some of the people who are showing shown to have the best immune responses are actually folks who have both recovered from COVID and also gotten a vaccine. That that combination really sends your antibodies through the roof, but it, it probably provides better protection than anything else. And the, the most important thing to remember, I think, in this conversation is that the effects of the vaccine are, for the most part, minimal. You have a sore arm, you might have flu-like symptoms for a day or two, but otherwise people have, for the most part, been fine. And the effects of COVID can be I mean, up to the point of death. Mm -hmm. And so if you're talking about different ways to acquire immunity, vaccination is definitely preferable. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Dan, really do appreciate you listening, really appreciate you calling and and sharing your experience. Let's go to Bernadette in Redford. Bernadette, what's up? I wanted to say you better look out because Josh is angling for your job. (laughs) He did a magnificent interview. He did. I'm calling because I think that people who are waiting for FDA approval, um, they don't understand how that works. The FDA doesn't send in independent analysts. The research is done by the companies who are seeking approval. So they're really approving their own vaccines with clinical tests, but um, the FDA is not doing what people are thinking they're doing. Go ahead, get that shot, because Mm. being on a ventilator is no day at the beach. Yeah, Bernadette, uh, as always, appreciate the call and the information. Uh, Rachel, that idea of understanding what's happening here is one of the hurdles i think to 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 getting people to accept that this is a, a smart way to, to to fight this disease i think information about how these vaccines are pro- approved what that actually means what the process looks like we, we've got to do a better job i think of of making sure people have that information yeah absolutely i mean the process for getting vaccines into the world is it's a bit complicated. There are a lot of sort of hoops that um, companies need to jump through in the government in order to bring things to market. And at the same time, we've seen that putting a lot of resources and human power behind these vaccines has accelerated that process quite a bit. These are the vaccines that have been brought to market more quickly than any other in history. Um, 
but th there are still delays. So for the adult vaccines, it took about eight months between the um, initial authorization and full approval from the FDA. I'm not sure if we're going to be looking at a similar timeline for kids. There are different considerations for kids. As we mentioned, just you want to be extra, extra sure that nothing, um, nothing, that there's not going to be any bad side effects for children just because they are so vulnerable. But that waiting period is really about just seeing more data, both mm -hmm. about the effectiveness of the vaccine and also about safety. So one of the biggest concerns for kids is myocarditis, this um, inflammatory condition of the heart that mm -hmm. has been seen, especially in some boys and young men. And right now, it seems as if most of those cases are resolving fairly quickly, and it doesn't seem as if these patients are having any long-term effects from that. But waiting a few more months for full FDA approval, maybe following those cases for a year or two, would just allow us to understand better and be really, really sure about the safety of these vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also want to give you a chance, and we've only got a, a couple minutes left, uh, but to, to talk about the likelihood or the probability that we might have to do this or go through this process many times, uh, once or twice a year, um, in the context of mandates, I think that also kind of changes the, the conversation. We're not talking about something you get once and never have to do it again. We're talking about something that we may all have to get used to doing pretty regularly. Again, I've only got about a minute left, but I'd love for you to talk a little about that. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, at least among kids, which is, I think, sort of the area we're focusing on right now, the other vaccines that are really commonly mandated tend to be vaccines that are administered with a handful of shots during childhood, and then you're done. Maybe you get a booster every 10 years, as in the case of pertussis. For things that you have to get more regularly, like a flu vaccine, they're a lot harder to mandate. It's mm -hmm. logistically difficult. It's um Depending on how easy access is, you might be asking a lot of children and their families in order to do that every six months or every year. So that would definitely make mandates a lot harder to imagine versus if this is a shot that kids have to get two or three times and then they're done. Yeah. Okay, Rachel Gutman, Senior Associate Editor at The Atlantic. Uh, great to have you here with us to help explain all of this to our listeners. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much for having me. That is going to do it for us today. Music on WDET has played a really dramatic role during the pandemic, serving our listening community as well as local artists and musicians. WDET's music programs have been a bridge to keep us all connected during these uncertain times. So join us in celebrating Public Radio Music Day today. Visit publicradiomusicday.org to learn more. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.